So welcome along. It is so good to have you guys with us. As uh, Joel said, my name's Dave. I'm part of the team here at Hills, and it's just an amazing uh, group of people who we get to do ministry with. So welcome to you. Um, We are in the book of Daniel. Daniel is an amazing book. It's so rich. There's so much in it. Uh, I am going to try somehow to condense what I already condensed this morning into more. There's just notes coming out of my ears. We'll just see what God does. Hey, Grant? Sounds good. So, a tale of two kingdoms. Daniel is not just about what did happen. It's about what always happens. This is a story about the fact that we have a, an amazing God but, uh, and he's growing his kingdom, but at the same time there is a spirit at work in the world that has been at work from the beginning of time, will be at work until the end of time, until Revelation 18 when Jesus Christ puts it to an end once for all, uh, the spirit of Babylon. And the spirit of Babylon is at work in the world and the spirit of Babylon seeks to fill the people of God with comfort that we might be complacent, that we might compromise. Whereas the Spirit of God is calling us to a spirit of conviction, courage, and consistency. That's what we've learned so far. And so we come around now, chapter 4, and it's been 25 to 30 years since last week. So last week, we saw the fiery furnace. Sammy did a great job of preaching that word. Um, And we saw these three wonderful men of God just take their stand against the Spirit of Babylon and say, do you know what? I don't care. Like, God can save me from these flames, and even if he doesn't, what a word, even if he doesn't, I will not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I will not bow the knee to Babylon. And so we saw that incredible passage. But it's been 25 to 30 years since then, which means Daniel is almost 50 years old. Do I have any almost 50-year-olders in the house today? Come on. (laughs) Full of vigor, full of strength, full of faith. You are, and so is Daniel. Um... Sometimes we read this and we think Daniel like a teenager. In a couple of chapters, when we get to the, the lion's den, we realize that he's actually almost 70. So often we think he was just a young lad. He was an old, well, he's not old. <laughs> he's not old, Ron. He's just more experienced than he used to be. <laughs> with more wisdom. <laughs> so, where are we at? 25, 30 years, Nebuchadnezzar is well and truly established as the king. Let's put up, this is his map. This is what he personally owns, right? So when you're a dictator, you don't just govern, you actually own. This is his real estate portfolio. That's a fairly impressive real estate portfolio. Some of you have multiple houses, praise God. Give generously to the kingdom. (laughs) Out of everything he's given to you, this is a real estate portfolio. Are you with me? This is what King Nebuchadnezzar personally owns. He is doing well, yeah? He's doing well. No one can touch him. So we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and what we're going to see here today is Nebuchadnezzar's story. Chapter 4, verse 1 through to 3. Remember, we're doing Daniel verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which means it takes a little bit longer. And my Uh, A few years ago, my grandfather-in-law said to me, David, if you can't say it in 15 minutes, it's not worth saying. And I was like, stuff that. This is the word of God. (laughs) This is the word of God. In China, they meet for 14 hours and they're like, how long do you want to preach for? And they're like, you just go as long as you possibly can and then you sleep, you get up and you go again. I'm not saying I want to preach for 14 hours, but I'm saying we're not going to get through this in 15 minutes, amen? All right, chapter four, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. 
It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What the heck has just happened? 25 years ago, one chapter ago, this is a man who threw people into a fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship him as the most high God. Now he's saying, it is my pleasure to proclaim to you the works and wonders of the most high God. Something's happened to Nebuchadnezzar. This is for you Marvel fans out there, the Tony Stark post-captivity press conference. This is where Tony Stark's there and he's just like, he goes, I've seen some stuff, I've been through some stuff, everything's changed. This is former slave trader John Newton's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's what this is. That's what this moment is. This is Nebuchadnezzar's story. This is his song. Oh, how good is blessed assurance. Come on, somebody. What a hymn. This is his story. And you know what? I think this is his story of coming home. And I had a lot of titles for this message. Honestly, I had like 12 titles. <laughs> like we could have called it uh, the testimony of the tyrannical um, transformation. We could have called it welcome home. We could have called it, I don't know. What I settled was, was look up. So if you're a note taker, look up and that'll make sense in a minute. Um, this is Nebuchadnezzar's story. This is Nebuchadnezzar coming home. But before I get ahead of myself, let's just, oh, I just have to say this. There are some theologians who disagree with me. There's some scholars who will say that this isn't a, a true story of transformation, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't come to acknowledge God as Lord Most High. He wasn't converted. He didn't worship the Most High God of heaven. Here's why I think they're wrong. I'll just give you a couple of quick initial thoughts, all right? There's lots more. If we want to talk about it in more detail, I'm happy to engage in that conversation because it's a great conversation. Number one, this is the only chapter in the entire Bible penned by a pagan, right? Nebuchadnezzar was a demon-worshipping pagan, a murderer, a kidnapper, a rapist, filled with the spirit of Babylon. That's who he was. Every other chapter in scripture is penned, yes, by sinners saved by grace, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you really think God is going to allow someone influenced by the demonic to pen a, patch, a, a chapter of scripture that is Holy Spirit inspired? The answer is no. Scripture is spirit-breathed, therefore the only way Nebuchadnezzar can write Scripture is by the Spirit of God dwelling in him and breathing it out of him. And the only way that anyone confessed Jesus is Lord is by the Spirit, which means Nebuchadnezzar has the Spirit of God, which means he's been redeemed. Number one. Number two. <laughs> this is really similar to Paul's epistles or letters, right? Just pick any of Paul's letters. You know, for the fun of it, let's go to Galatians. Look how Galatians starts. And this is true, basically, of all of Paul's letters, right? Nebuchadnezzar starts with, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations, may you prosper greatly, let me tell you about how good God is. Paul, Paul, an apostle, rada, 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 to the churches of Galatia, now let me tell you how good God is. Go to the next one. Paul. 
Paul, an apostle, to this. Let me tell you how good God is. This is what happens when someone's transformed. Saul became Paul. God grabbed his heart, radically transformed him, and now what happens when God gets your life, you can't help but give him the glory. I thought Sammy nailed this so well last week when he talked about the difference between a biography and a testimony. You remember that, those of you who were here? He talked about a biography being all about the person, glory to the person. That's how Nebuchadnezzar has lived his life. But Daniel has been about, look at God, the testimony of God. Look what he's done in my life. This is a testimony. This is not me, Nebuchadnezzar, giving glory to himself. This is God's got a hold of me. Everything's different. Now I'm giving glory to him. It's my pleasure to tell you about him. Not me, him. This is a man whose life has been radically transformed by the power of God. But he's been through some stuff, friend. He's been through some stuff. So what happens because Daniel is recording these events and he's excited about what God's done in Nebuchadnezzar's life, Daniel's like, hey, Neb, I've been like recording some stuff for generation to generation, like 2,600 years from now, there's going to be a guy standing up in a gym in Verdun. You don't even know that exists yet because it's not really in the known world, but one day it'll happen and God wants me to pen some stuff. But I think with what's happened in your life, I should give you the pen for a moment and you should just talk about what's happened in your life. So he gives the pen to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar starts to unpack his testimony. And it's a testimony of transformation. It's a testimony of revelation. And here's a thought. How do you know that's a, a, a testimony? How do you know a transformation is legitimate? How do you know when someone's had that moment of like, wow, look what God's done in my life. Here's the thing. How do you know it's legitimate? It's the difference between having an awareness of God and bearing witness to God, right? It's a difference between having an awareness of God and bearing witness to God. Witness requires knowing. Awareness requires knowledge. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. There's a difference between intimacy and information, there's a difference between saying, hey, I can come into a room and I can talk about things and I've got some facts, but there's a big difference between that and having eyes open and being, I have a relationship with the Most High God. He's transformed my life because that comes through revelation, not just information. Revelation actually requires impartation. It actually requires the Spirit of God to take that seed, that word, and put it into our souls that it then might take root and birth life within us. Revelation is about an impartation of God in our hearts. The Bible says it this way. He says he's given us this treasure in jars of clay, that we have this seed, a light within us, that the world, our eyes have been blinded, our minds are blinded by the God of this age, but that God has come and put a seed of truth in our hearts. And it takes root. It's revelation of who God is. This is what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what's happened. So this is his story. Massive transformation. Let's get into it. There's seven parts to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. We might not get to all of them, but we'll see how we go. Seven parts to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. The first part is the dream. Everyone say the dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse four, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Understatement. <laughs> the Aramaic word here is shalah. Everyone say shalah. Very similar to that word we see in the Psalms, Silla, which means rest. 
It actually literally means at ease. Nebuchadnezzar goes, I was at ease in my palace. <laughs> are you kidding me? You own all of that. <laughs> like, you are more than at ease. You have a 27 meter statue of gold of you in your backyard, bro. That is at ease. A swimming pool height, as Sammy said last week. <laughs> I thought that was so funny because I was like, what swimming pool is 27 meters? Anyway. He is at ease. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Friends, there's such a powerful word right here in this, is that no one could touch Nebuchadnezzar. No one could get even into his presence without permission. And if they tried, they'd be slaughtered by one of his slaves, right? No one could get anywhere near him. The only one who can get to the one that no one can get to is God. And we saw this two chapters ago when God got to him in a dream. We see it again. 35 years later, the same God of heaven comes in the same way and drops a dream. And that dream, it says, terrifies him. It shakes him to his core. Friends, just a word of encouragement. No one is too far from God. Sometimes we, I think, honestly, we, we think that. We're like, well, that person's too far gone. And we give up praying. We give up ministering. We give up investing because we're like, look at them. They'll never come to Christ. But I can promise you there's some testimonies in this room. If I got you to come up and share your story, you'd be going amen to that right now, hey? No one's too far from God. God can get you. He can get you from the miry clay, and he can lift you out of that miry clay, and he can set your feet upon a rock. No one's too far from God, not even Nebuchadnezzar. Now, verse 6, So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Ha <laughs> ha! Remember two chapters ago what happened? Bring the wise men before me. And he's like, tell me my dream. And then interpret it. And if you can't, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> and now, 30, 35 years later, I've had a dream. Get me the wise men. All the wise men are like, oh, oh no, here we go again. The psycho's back at it. He's going to ask us to do that again and we can't do that because we've got the spirit of Babylon, not the spirit of God and we got found out last time and he's kind of forgotten about that but ah, they're freaking out. And so he brings them in and it says, uh, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream but what happened? They could not interpret it for me again. Why are they called wise men? They couldn't do it again. But notice the difference. I want you to see something. This like stood out to me. Notice the difference. Last time, he was completely irrational. Last time, he was like, you tell me the dream, and if you can't, I'm going to kill you. This time, he tells them the dream, and then he's patient with them. What does that show? It shows that in 35 years, something of what Daniel has been investing in him is taken a little bit of ground not a big transformation but there's a softening of heart God is softening hearts God's work is the long game not the short game we want transformation like that all the time sometimes God's going to work over a lifetime to bring his revelation of truth into a heart so don't give up praying don't give up investing God is on the move verse 8 finally someone say finally Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. I love that. 
It's like he's got all the people coming in and the whole time that they're trying to interpret stuff, and like, oh, we don't know. You just get this sense that Nebuchadnezzar's just sitting back and says, oh, for God's sake, just get me, Daniel. Just get that guy. He, I know that he'll fix it. He's the one who knows this stuff. Stop stuffing around. Just get me, Daniel. Wouldn't it be great if all of us were a finally to somebody? Why does... Why does Daniel have this on him because, as you keep reading, uh, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. Bracket, he is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Remember, he's writing to all the peoples. All the people know Daniel as Belteshazzar, but this is fascinating. Nebuchadnezzar gave him the name Belteshazzar, but he still calls him Daniel because he's noticed something about his nature that's different from everyone else and he can't bring himself to call him the name that he gave him. It says he's got the spirit of the holy gods in him. That word there is the word Elohim, which is the same word for God in the book of Genesis. It's not used anywhere else. This this is Nebuchadnezzar saying, there is a spirit in him that is unlike any other spirit that I have seen anywhere else in my kingdom. There is a spirit in him. It's the spirit of the most high God. He's already acknowledging that there's something in him that's above what he knows to be true. There's something about him. Friends, this is supposed to be the church of Jesus Christ, that we have the spirit of God in us, that this is what happened at Pentecost. He sent the Spirit to empower his church that we might be Daniels on the earth, that we might walk into Babylon. We might walk into a room and we might bring peace. We might bring clarity. We might bring this sense of awe of God that someone might go, you're different, that we might be a finally to somebody. Like, this person can't help me. This person can't help me. This person can't help me. But there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that I want, that I need even. Nebuchadnezzar needs Daniel. He needs him. Imagine that. The king who has everything needs a castrated slave because that castrated slave has the spirit of God in him. Would we be a finally to somebody? This reminds me of Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 11, 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Here's how one commentator summarized this part. He said, be a good citizen until it prevents you from being a good Christian. Notice that Daniel has had influence on the government. But Daniel has not been influenced by the government. Friends, as the church, we are supposed to be, yes, standing up. We are supposed to be speaking into that political sphere. We are supposed to be. We are supposed to be people who bring the light of the gospel into that place, championing, encouraging, praying for, uplifting our leaders, but never allowing their stuff to come upon us. We are supposed to stand with conviction and courage, as I said before, never compromising, but being there as someone who is a wise counsellor. 
We're supposed to be a voice. Yes? The voice of the Spirit in that place. That's the witness of Daniel. That is the witness of Daniel. That's, what, that's how he has lived his life in Babylon. And there's an acknowledgement that the Spirit of God is on him. That we too would walk into these spheres and bear witness to the wonders of God. We are not left or right. We are up. We are countercultural. We are gospel. We are gospel, which means the left love us and hate us. They hate the moral stance, but they love the fact that we have a heart for the disenfranchised and the poor and the lowly. And the right love us and hate us because we have a stance of biblical truth, and yet we chase after the things that they don't love. Like there's a difference to a Christian. We are countercultural, and we're called to be that. Amen? Amen? All right, let's keep going. So, the spirit of the holy gods in, is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. There it is again. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and it touched the sky. It was visible to the very ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From, every creature, from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. That is an angel. If you haven't picked this up from the first couple of weeks of this series, there is a spiritual realm. It is not just what we see here. There is a spiritual realm. We believe in angels. We believe in the demonic. There is a war, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual authorities, powers, rada, rada, rada. Yes, Ephesians 6. Are you with me? This is true. Don't ever be convinced otherwise. This is true. There is a battle going on in the heavenlies. And the messenger of God comes and brings a word to Nebuchadnezzar. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is what? Sovereign over all. All of this is going to happen so you will know that I'm the boss. I'm going to do some stuff so that the whole world will know that I'm in charge of whoever's in charge. That even if you think you've been reigning for 35 years, the whole world believed that the God of Israel had lost to the spirit of Babylon. Uh-uh. People think we were praying against this bill that's been in our parliament and other bills that are going on. And people might say, God lost. No, no. God doesn't lose. God sometimes allows for the purpose of the long game ultimately to reveal his sovereignty on the earth. And he then calls the church to be a Daniel in the midst of that place, speaking truth, speaking life, being a witness that the world might know the power of God at work in the world. 
God has not lost. He never has lost. He is sovereign over all. And he's saying, I'm going to do something in your life, Nebuchadnezzar, to reveal that to everybody. So that the kingdoms of the earth, the sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone who wishes and sets over them, the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because you got the Spirit of God. You got the Spirit of God. Oh, there's a lot in this dream. (laughs) There is a lot in this dream. Firstly, there's a dream of a tree. It's big, it's massive, it's great. Then all of a sudden, the tree... The tree gets cut down and then the cut down thing becomes a man. And the man's now covered in dew and is just cruising around for a while. And Nebuchadnezzar is not only confused, but he's actually terrified. It's done something in his spirit. He's like, I need an answer to this. This is bothering me. So he seeks out Daniel. He's like, give me the answer. What is the answer? Daniel, bring me your discernment. Which comes to the next part of the testimony. Daniel's discernment, verse 19 to 22. How are you going? There's a lot of verses. We're going to read all of them. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, again, I love that, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. Do you know in another translation it says he was deeply saddened? Oh, we'll come back to that. His thoughts terrified him. So the king... so. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You're the tree, Nebuchadnezzar. This is full on. Friends, oh, firstly, Daniel, can we just pause for a moment? Daniel, 15 years old, kidnapped by this man, castrated by this man, family murdered by this man taken as an exile to a kingdom that is not his own and forced to be a slave in that kingdom to this man. Then bombarded with the ways of Babylon. Be this, be this, be this, be this, be this, believe this, believe this, by this man. And then he has to become a vegan. (laughs) He's endured a lot. Come on, someone. (laughs) Sorry, vegans. We love you, but meat is good. (laughs) As is a nice latte. Come on. This is Daniel. He has been through so much. 35 years. 35 years. And yet, when King Nebuchadnezzar gets a word of his own downfall, it says that Daniel was deeply saddened. Why? Because Daniel loved King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel loved the man who kidnapped him, castrated him and murdered his family. The man who took away any hope that he might actually have his own family and then have a legacy, which was so important in this day. Nebuchadnezzar has literally taken everything from him. 
and he loves him. How? Forgiveness. The Spirit of God works in his life. Do you know, Daniel is as broken as you could ever be. And brokenness will lead to one of two things. It will lead to bitterness or it will lead to a blessing. That's scriptural. It will lead to bitterness or a blessing. And the key to which one it unlocks is either forgiveness or offence. If you want to take on offence, you will end up with bitterness. If you want to walk in forgiveness, you will one day eventually see the blessing. Daniel, everything he's been through, chooses forgiveness. And that's exactly why I, I said that intentionally. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not something that just randomly happens. Forgiveness is an everyday moment saying, I'm going to choose to forgive that person. Lord, help me forgive that person. The Bible tells us two chapters from now, we're going to see that Daniel prayed three times a day on his knees. My question is, who's he praying for? Do you know, Jeremiah was a prophet when Judah was taken captive in Babylon. So it's like, while we're reading Daniel, read Jeremiah, right? And in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah prophesies something over the nation of Judah. And you have to know that this comes to Daniel's ears. And the prophecy is, pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. Are you telling me to pray for Babylon, for peace and prosperity? Yes, that's a word from God. What is Daniel praying for? Daniel is praying for the peace and prosperity of the city despite everything he's been through. Daniel is, yes, he's praying for Judah. He's praying for uh, courage. He's praying for all of these things. But he is praying for Nebuchadnezzar, not for God to cast judgment upon him. He's not doing that prayer of bitterness like, Lord, I just pray that you'd send your fiery darts from heaven. Lord, I just pray that he'd go for a walk and someone would come out and just give him a heart attack and off he goes. He's not praying for that. He's not praying for the demise of Babylon. He's praying for the peace and prosperity of the city. What the heck? And in praying for that, he's praying, Lord, help me forgive. Help me walk in this. And in so doing, he's able to throw off bitterness and we're going to see the blessing of God come upon Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see that God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar that all of this stuff that you're chasing, the kingdoms of the world, all of it is meaningless tripe compared to the hallowed halls of heaven. And there's a kingdom I want to bring you into, son. That's so much greater than this. Daniel seeks forgiveness. I wonder for us if we need to seek some forgiveness in this place. If we need to pray for some forgiveness that we might step into some blessing. Verse 23, let's carry on. The decree. Verse 23. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass in the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord. Everyone say decree. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. What a promise. 
God's saying, I'm going to slay you, but I'm also going to save you. And in the slaying is the saving. Because you need to know that I am king. And so I'm going to do something in your life. And it's not going to be pretty. And you're not going to like it. In fact, I'm going to completely hand you over to the spirit of Babylon. You are going to become the very beast that you worship. You are going to be totally humbled. But guess what? There's grace for those who are humbled. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's like, in your humbling will be a grace and that grace will be your salvation. In the humbling will be a grace and the grace will be your salvation. So you'll be driven away. You'll acknowledge me as sovereign over all kingdoms. And then Daniel says this, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Oh my goodness. Again, there's so much in this. All right, first and foremost, let's go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 50, the same man who prophesied and said, pray for the peace and prosperity of this city. In 21 chapters time, says another prophecy, speaking about Babylon. He says this, see, I am against you, you arrogant one, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. For your day has come, the time for you to be punished. The arrogant one will stumble and fall and no one will help her up. I will kindle a fire in her towns that will consume all who are around her. Friends, God actually had his hand on Nebuchadnezzar. God had his hand on Babylon for a while. Despite their evil, God actually used Babylon to bring about the judgment on Judah that they might return to the Lord. And now what he's saying is your pride has become so great. You have become so full of your own importance. I'm taking that hand off and I'm gonna now cast that judgment upon you. You are going to go through some stuff. You are going to suffer. But here's the amazing thing. Before that happens, I'm going to send you a dream. I'm going to send you Daniel, and I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to invite you to repent. God is in the long game, friends. God warns and waits. He warns and waits. He warns and waits. He warns and waits. This is not just Babylon, this is Australia. We are called to just bring that warning of God, say, what are we doing, nation? We are chasing after such folly. We are engaging in such stupidity. We are believing the lies of Babylon. We need to call them to account, knowing that God warns and waits. Knowing that this nation, if we keep going down this path that we are on, will come under the judgment of God. Be sure of it. But in the meantime, let's be a voice declaring hope and calling this nation to repentance. Calling this nation to repentance. It poses another question for me as well, which is the question of what are we building? What are we building? Because what God is saying here to King Nebuchadnezzar is that you've built a mighty kingdom, but it's not my kingdom. And because you've built something that's not mine, I'm going to chop it down. And this is the promise of God to us as well. This is the promise of God to the church. 
if we build something that's not of his kingdom and for his glory, he will chop it down. He'll chop it down. May that never be said of us. The temptation in our lives, in our businesses, in our families, in everything we're doing is to build for our own glory. In our workplace, it's about striving to get to that level, striving to get to there. If it's for me, eventually, either in this life or the next, or in the next generation, it will be chopped down. That's the promise of God, because Babylon will always fall to the kingdom of God. And in the church, this is a warning to us, right? And I felt this warning this week, because it's so easy. Like there's, It's so easy to be drawn into the whole idea of let's build hills. Right? Oh, can I get a bit vulnerable with you for a moment? Is that okay in this place? Like even this week, I was looking at a, a mate of mine who, you know, he's got a, thousands of Instagram followers. He's traveling all over the place preaching. And there's a voice that sits on your shoulder and goes, you're as good as that. And it's rubbish. But it's there. It's always there saying, God, Promote yourself. It's for your glory. And it's there in every single one of our lives. Each one of us have this spirit saying, build your kingdom, build your kingdom, build your kingdom. But it's rot. It's rubbish. What does it come to? It comes to nothing. Nothing. And we've got to come to Daniel and go, no, we will not build the kingdom of Babylon. We, if we build, we will build the kingdom of God by the work of his spirit through our hands, not by our hands. And we must stay humble before a holy God. We must look up and see him and go, I don't want that. That's the rubbish of this world. That's the filth of this world. It's rot. No, I want you and you alone. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. May we seek first the kingdom. And that's what God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, you build an awesome kingdom, bro. You got gold everywhere. Everything's good for you. Life is swell, but it's not mine. And because it's not mine, it's got to go. It reminds you of that passage in the scripture where it talks about everything will be tested and tried by fire, doesn't it? And either it's going to come out refined or it's going to be burnt up. That's true of the work of our hands. If it's not of God, it's going to get cut down. And that's the promise of God to Nebuchadnezzar. So what does Daniel do? He says, repent. (laughs) How does he do this? Have you ever thought about that? This is the stuff that goes through my head, by the way. How does he do that? Like, no one's allowed in his presence. No one ever calls him out on anything. Last time, like, last time someone tried to call him out on something, he was, man, we can't interpret that dream. You're crazy. Just tell us. And he was like, you're all going to die. How does Daniel call him to repentance? Because he has relationship. As we said before, because Nebuchadnezzar needs him and trusts him. I would hazard a guess and say that Nebuchadnezzar actually loves him because of his faithful service to Nebuchadnezzar. And because there's relationship, there's trust. And where there's trust, there can be truth. We must be a people who learn to speak the truth in love. If we're just going to be people Bible bashing and yelling at people and calling them to account without love, it'll fall to the ground. It will mean nothing. But where there's love, where there's genuine investment and engagement, like I actually care about you and because I care about you, here's the truth. Then all of a sudden that can produce freedom. Parents, discipline our children. It's awfully quiet in the room right now. 
But it's true. We must learn to discipline in love. I've heard stories. I've got even a friend who's like decided they're not going to say the word no to their children. <laughs> da 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 trouble. Boundaries are a blessing, friends. Boundaries are a blessing. Don't be afraid to bring a boundary. Don't be afraid to discipline in love because the truth sets people free. And we want to raise children of God. Kingdom kids, amen? So we've got to learn to rebuke in love, not outside of love. Oh, all right, let's keep going. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, 12 months, God gave him 12 months to repent. 12 months. He warns and waits. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, the voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you. Pride comes before a fall. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes immediately. 36 years. And then immediately. God is not slow, he's patient. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, ate grass like the ox, his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar firstly lives in this delusion of pride that he is God. Like, he had, we come to this point, he comes to this climactic point where he just has this moment. It's a delusion. This is who I am. I'm great. I'm great. And God's like, no, you're not. I'm the king of heaven. And I'm going to show you that right now. And in that delusion, he falls down and he is broken before the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then what happens is God hands him over. He hands him over to the very spirit that was driving him. Watch this. The spirit of Babylon will say to us that we are nothing but beasts that have evolved. The spirit of God says you are image bearers. There is a big difference. And when God actually withdraws his hand, see, even in our pervertedness, even while Babylon is running rife, God still has his hand. The moment he withdraws his hand, he actually unleashes the spirit of Babylon to take full effect on King Nebuchadnezzar. And when the spirit of Babylon takes full effect on King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar literally becomes the very beast that Babylon wants him to believe he is. I'm gonna say something which might be a bit controversial, but I hope you hear my heart. In our world right now, mental health is at a pandemic level. Some mental health is physiological. Yes, go see a doctor, get help. Chemical imbalances and you can get help. Some mental health is emotional, caused by grief, caused by trauma, 
go see a counselor, get help, they can help you. Some mental health is spiritual. And this is the, the, the mental health our world is rejecting. Some mental health is a giving over to the spirit of Babylon. This is where the church needs to rise up and begin proclaiming truth and taking authority in the name of Jesus to begin praying for people and believing that the truth can set us free. Nebuchadnezzar is given over to the spirit of Babylon and he goes full cray-cray. Like, full on. He goes like seven years eating grass. And it's interesting, it says like he's with the wild animals. Here's the thing. The records show us that like he didn't just disappear into the forest somewhere. He was actually in the palace area. It's just that the palace area is huge. (laughs) And has gardens and, you know, forests. It's a massive area that Nebuchadnezzar owns. Here's the thing. Here's the truth that history tells us is that his whole time, this whole time in seven years, the nobles looked after him, cared for him. Guess who the chief nurse was? A man called Daniel. Can you believe that? A man called Daniel. was present with Nebuchadnezzar through his torment and pain. Daniel has every right to celebrate this. I think, like, I question my own heart on this. I'm like, would I celebrate this? This man castrated me, he kidnapped me, he murdered my family, he's imprisoned me for 35 years. Would I celebrate his demise? Daniel loves him and cares for him. And more than that, remember, who's the two I see in all of this? Daniel. Daniel was in charge of the king's affairs. Daniel was over, like Daniel was the prime minister. So in this moment of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, Daniel's ruling Babylon. Now the way Babylon works and the way the spirit of Babylon works is that the way politics works, even in our nation, is you then stab someone in the back and assume their authority, right? That's what you would do. You'd go, King Nebuchadnezzar's gone cray-cray. He's like, he's not coming back from this. Let's get rid of him. Let's just, like, no one will know. Let's just knock him off. And I will assume the palace. I will take on the treasures of Babylon. I will become lord of all of this. Look how magnificent it is. Daniel doesn't do it. There's something so powerful in this. Ben, you can come up because we do have to close. Daniel, Daniel's different because he has the Spirit of God in him. And so what Daniel does is he knows the promise of God. And the promise of God is that in seven years' time, Nebuchadnezzar's going to look up. And when Nebuchadnezzar looks up, he's going to have a revelation of who God is. And he's going to understand that God is sovereign. So how much more powerful then for him to come back, sit on the throne and declare to all the nations of the world, chapter 4, that God is the true God of heaven. How much more powerful? And so Daniel, instead of assuming the treasures of Babylon, assumes a posture of humility, serves a madman for seven years, governs a kingdom faithfully, and then brings this man back to the throne when God brings healing and revelation. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's what the Spirit of God does. C.S. Lewis says, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. 
Pride comes before a fall, but God gives grace to the humble. How does Daniel maintain such a posture of humility despite the temptation of Babylon? How does he do it? Reminds me an awful lot of Jesus. When Satan comes to him in the wilderness, takes him to a high place and then shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and he says, all of this I'll give you. All of it. All its splendor. All its majesty. Even the 27 high meter statue of gold. All of it can be yours if you bow down and worship me. Jesus tells him to buzz off. How does Daniel do what Daniel did despite that temptation and that pressure? Because it's like, it's real. Don't just read it and be like, yep, 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 yep. That's like, stop doing that. Read it, chew on it, think about it and go, oh my gosh, how would I behave? Like, are you with me? Daniel doesn't do it. Why? Because his gaze is on a greater glory. Because Daniel spends three, three times a day, gets on his knees and prays to the King of Heaven. Because Daniel understands the true God of heaven is so much greater than the the king of Babylon. He understands that the glory of heaven is so much greater than the glory of Babylon. He understands eternity awaits. His eyes are not on the treasures of this world because they are futile and will fall. His eyes are on the kingdom that God has promised him. And he knows there's 70 years of this. He knows this is his lot. He knows he's going to have to endure. But he knows his calling is to be a voice of wisdom and truth and reason and power right in the heart of Babylon. And so he stays and he serves and he worships the high king of heaven and his eyes are there. And look what happens. He models this to Nebuchadnezzar. He's modeled it his whole life. The very thing we're about to read, Daniel has modeled for 35 years to a pagan king. And then when we get to verse 34, it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes to heaven. Look up. For the first time in his life, Nebuchadnezzar's pride was shattered on the floor. He realised, who am I? Who am I? All the wealth of the entire world, all the armies of the entire world, all the power that this world has to offer is nothing compared to but a whisper of God Himself. And so he looks up, which is an act of surrender and sacrifice. And then my sanity was restored. God slayed him, but he saved him. God took his sanity to bring his salvation. God revealed to him that all the treasures of Babylon are nothing compared to that glory of heaven. The glory of the throne room of God himself. It's all meaningless. All the pursuits of humanity are meaningless compared to all that God has to offer. Daniel's gaze is on a greater kingdom. And it just reminds me of Paul. Ephesians 3, his prayer to the church in Ephesus, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you'd have a revelation. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now under Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we hope or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love Paul. This is Nebuchadnezzar. This is the same thing. Do you see that? It's like God's got me, He's transforming. I just can't help going on tangents and being like, oh, He's so great. Read Paul's letters. He does it all the time. He's like, theology, full doctrine. Oh, God. Just gets taken away. I better come back and teach what I'm supposed to teach. God's so good. He's so good. His kingdom is so amazing. That I praise the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say, what have you done? That's Nebuchadnezzar. What a story. What a testimony. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Nebuchadnezzar is seven years as an animal in a field, eating grass, and he says everything he does is right. Sometimes when God like allows stuff to happen to us that we don't like, we get angry with him and we're like, oh, can't you just give me comfort? Come on, God, you're a good God. You're a loving God. Why would you allow me to go through anything difficult? Because he's sovereign and he knows what's good for us and he loves us and he wants us to come to a point of acknowledging that sovereignty and you don't know what he's gonna do with that experience 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now. Just maybe the very thing you're walking through in this moment is the very thing He's going to use to bring someone else into a revelation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. So stop complaining and start praising. Pick up a mantle of praise because He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it, friends. He's worthy of it all because those who walk in pride, He is able to humble this reminds, like, I'm going to close, but this reminds me of, <laughs> I said that like 10 minutes. My uh, Brian over here, we were chatting like a week or two ago and he was talking about C.S. Lewis, The Last Battle. Anyone like the Narnia series? Some of you need to read the Narnia series. So we're talking about The Last Battle and oh, I started reading, oh, Brian, it's so good. It's so good. I got, so, I got up to almost the end yesterday. I was so excited. I was in my office and I was like, come on, like just, it's so, listen to this. The children have like, they've come into, and it's like the end of times, right? And there's Aslan's doorway and it's the end of time. So the sun's been 
squashed and everything's falling apart and they enter the doorway and there's Aslan calling him and there's others calling him and they're calling each other and listen to this but he goes I have come home at last this is my real country I belong here this is the land I've been in looking for all of my life though I never knew it till now come further up come further in And then he's like, come further up, come further in, come further up, come further in. And they're running and he's like, come further up, come further in, come, come into the kingdom, come into the eternal kingdom. Don't look back at the filth of Babylon. Come in, come in, come in. There's a greater kingdom. There's a glorious kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Come further up, come further in. Come on, come into the kingdom of God. That's what's just this charge. Come in. This is what Christ is doing for us. Take our eyes off Babylon. Come into the kingdom, friends. Come into the kingdom. Take your eyes off the things of this world in all its futility and frailty and look to the majesty of heaven. Come further up and further in, friends. This is the invitation of Christ to all of us. I don't know if you've ever had, I'm going to use the word privilege which in a minute you'll think is a weird word, but you'll understand why. If you've ever had the privilege of being with someone as they near and enter this life, and they see Jesus. And all that time they're like, like, I remember the week before my grandfather passed away at 14 years of old, there he was, very frail, He's like, I just can't wait to go home. (laughs) Oh, would we have that heart? That's Daniel's heart. Oh, I can't wait to go home. Don't let what the world puts on you get in you. Because greater is he that's living in me than he that's in the world. This is our story. This is Daniel's story. This is Nebuchadnezzar's story. I pray this is your story. This is our song, praising our Saviour all the day long. Would you stand to your feet? I can't close today without giving an opportunity for people to come home, for people to look up, sense that there's people here who have um, you know this morning we had Craig got baptised in the 8.30 service and it was just beautiful which is why we ran a little over it nothing to do with the lengths of my preach <laughs> but there's something he shared that you know he'd grown up in the church as a kid got dedicated at 13 and life got the better of him two years ago or one year ago whatever he said he encountered Christ come further up come further in I just wonder if anyone here is in that place and today you're like what am I doing it's time to let go of Babylon and it's time to come further up and further into the kingdom of God and so I'm going to invite everyone just to close your eyes for a minute and if that's you you're at a place where you're like I want to come back to the king I just want you to pop your hand up in the air and then you can pop it down we're going to pray for you Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. 
Awesome. And maybe there's some people in this room who you've actually never made that decision. You've never actually said, Jesus, take my life. I want to go through the doorway. I'm hearing the call. Oh, I see the futility of all of this. I want to come home. If that's you for the first time, I just want you to pop your hand right up right now. We want to pray for you, that you would know Christ, that you would know Him as Lord and Saviour. Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these blessed sons and daughters of yours. And we thank you today that you're calling them home. We thank you today that they've heard your call and they're saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you all of my days. Father, would you strengthen them right now? Would you put in them the spirit of God that no spirit of Babylon could ever consume, that no spirit of Babylon could ever conquer, that the ways of this world would never pull them to the left or to the right, but rather they would run as a countercultural follower of Christ. Lord, empower them, encourage them, inspire them, Lord Jesus. Hold them fast. Lord, give them faith. Give them courage. Give them confidence. Put good people around them, Lord Jesus, that they might run this race with perseverance all the way to the end, all the way to the end, that on that final day they would hear your call and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your rest in Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. And right now, Lord, we want to say you're beautiful. You are beautiful. You are above every kingdom. You are above every God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to look up. We want to look up. We want to raise our eyes towards heaven. Take our gaze off of the world and fix our gaze upon your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Come on. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.